Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Today we start off a new series, and that series is on Jonah. And um, you might wonder, why are we talking about Jonah? Why a new series on a, a really tiny book close to the end of the Old Testament that most of us have probably heard a story about when we were kids in Sunday school, uh, but we really haven't read since? Well, those are some of the best reasons right there. Uh, first, we don't go there very often, and we don't read it uh, very often. We, uh, we haven't touched this book since we were kids, and we learned about Jonah being swallowed by a big whale. And that's a spoiler alert right there. If you've never read the book of Jonah, we're going to talk about Jonah being swallowed by a, a great big whale. Um, but here's some of the other reasons that the book of Jonah is such a great book for us to spend a little time in. Put yourself in, uh, just think of, think of the people that you know. Think of yourself a little bit. Have you ever had a friend, or maybe you are the friend, that exaggerates everything? Everything is the best. Everything is the biggest. Everything is the greatest. Well, this is the book of Jonah. We're going to see in the book of Jonah how when Jonah talks, he talks about how everything is huge. Everything is great. Everything is big. And so if maybe you know somebody like that, Jonah's a really relatable person. Or how about this? How about have you ever been through a time in your life where you've had really hard questions about your faith? And a lot of the regular kind of trite answers, they just don't seem to... Uh, to fit the bill. You're not satisfied with them. Well, the book of Jonah is a great book because it asks some really hard questions and it doesn't leave us with Sunday school answers. It doesn't leave us with figuring it all out and taking care of it all and wrapping it up with a nice, neat little bow. In fact, if you wanted to jump ahead and read the very end of the last chapter of Jonah, you'll see that it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. You're kind of left going, wait, were God and Jonah just in the conversation and they just, that's it, it's over? Where's the, where's the resolution? And so if you've ever watched a TV show or a movie where there's been a cliffhanger and you're like, well, what happens next to the characters? And you never find out. The book of Jonah is relatable. Um, why else is the book of Jonah such a great book? Oh, how about this? Have you ever asked the question, how do you balance the grace and the mercy of God with the justice of God? Sure seems like there's some people out there who they deserve to get the justice of God. And yet... Jesus comes and he talks about loving your enemies and being merciful and kind and gracious. Well, where's the balance? The God of the Old Testament seems one way and Jesus of the New Testament seems another way. So which one is it? Well, the book of Jonah is all about that question. I mean, literally, we find out in the last chapter that part of the reason that Jonah runs away from God is because he knows how gracious and merciful God is. And he feels like, boy, this people he's been called to go talk to, they should have justice. God's wrath should be against them. So tell me this. Maybe you've never asked a question about God's grace and God's mercy, but have you ever looked at a people group or a person or a family or a coworker or a family member and said, boy, seems like even though they do all the wrong stuff, all the good stuff happens to them, if the bad stuff would happen to them just a little bit, it would feel like justice. I mean... 
deep down inside of our hearts, a lot of us feel that way sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves. And I know that's not always easy to do. It's not easy to, to say, yeah, Nick, I felt that way before. But the truth of the matter is, many of us have. Think about some of the times when our nation has been attacked. You know, I, I was 18 years old when September 11th happened. And in the aftermath of September 11th, there was an entire people group who were judged and condemned and ridiculed and beaten and sometimes killed. And that people group were people who looked Middle Eastern. And I remember people saying that God's judgment was gonna come across those people. Or think about even recently with the coronavirus, we saw an uptick of people who are an Asian background actually being beaten as well because we thought of this virus as coming from China. Sometimes it's easy for us to look at entire people groups and lump them into something and say, they deserve God's justice and I'm going to mete out God's justice, God's wrath, God's anger. Well, Jonah is a prophet of God and he is called to go speak to a people group that God's people, the Hebrews, they don't like. They've been at war with them. They've been captured by them. They've been hurt by them. They've been enslaved by them. They've been killed by them. And God wants Jonah to go and share his message with those people. Can you imagine if you were called to go share God's message of judgment, of grace and mercy with a people group who you hated, with a people group who had hurt you, who had devastated you, maybe killed some family members of yours. See, if you can relate to that, then the book of Jonah is relatable. So what we're gonna do is we are gonna go back to the way we work through the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis. We had three sections. We had our go, where we would go and we'd read the scripture. We had our grow, when we looked at the scripture, we said, okay, here's an area of growth for us. And then we had a gospel section because we believe as brethren in Christ, as Anabaptists, as followers of Jesus, that the gospel shows up everywhere in scripture. It's not just in the New Testament. The gospel isn't just a few books at the beginning of the New Testament that talk about Jesus's life. The gospel is a message about who God is and that shows up everywhere. And so we're gonna do our go, grow, and gospel sections once again and so today, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Let's read it together, and then we're going to talk about it. Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw down the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who was responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, 
Who was responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, so now we've read the whole chapter in its, in its wholeness. We have the context of the whole chapter. We have the whole story. Sometimes when we read verse by verse and we talk about every verse after it, it's easy to lose the shape of the whole story. So we start out by reading the whole chapter so we get the whole story of the first chapter. And now we can start talking about it in its um, specificity. Now look, you may have heard some sermons on Jonah in the past. And if you have been to seminary or you have, um, you've been doing some deep study on some of the books of the Old Testament, you'll know that Jonah is one of the minor prophets. In the Bible, there are major prophets and minor prophets. And so a book like Daniel or Jeremiah would fit into the major prophet category. Books like Jonah or Hosea or Amos, they fit into the minor prophet category. Now, major and minor, does that mean that one is more important than the other? No, it really is just about the length of the book of the Bible. And so the major prophets are longer, the minor prophets are shorter. So Jonah is a minor prophet, but that also tells us that Jonah is a prophet. So if you have done some of that study on the book of Jonah, then you might have ever, you might have heard that Jonah isn't a real story. It's a, it's a parable, so to say. Uh, or if you've grown up in church, you may have heard people say Jonah is real. And they'll go through all sorts of work to prove that there are fish in the sea that could swallow a man whole and keep them in their belly for three days and three nights and, and all of this. So here's what I'm going to say. Personally, I think Jonah was a real person. I think he was a real prophet. Uh, we should actually see a story about Jonah uh, in an earlier book in the Old Testament. I want to say it's First Kings, but I could be wrong off the top of my head, where Jonah actually goes to a king and brings the word of the Lord to the king. It's actually a word of blessing, and the king is an enemy, oddly enough. Uh, he's an evil king, we'll say it that way. Um, so we know that Jonah shows up at a different time in the Old Testament, so I think Jonah's a real person. Um, but there is some wisdom in understanding that the book of Jonah is written at, in the form of poetry. Every book of the Bible is a little bit different, and so you have certain books of the Old Testament that are meant to be historically read. They're supposed to be historical fact. There are some books of the Bible that are poetry as well. And so it's written in kind of a, a prose. It's written in a, 
a balanced way, kind of like, um, you remember things like iambic pentameter or a haiku and how you had to balance the way certain words are used or phrasing is used or even the rhythm of the of the writing is done. Um, you know, that's the way that Jonah's written. It's definitely written in the form of poetry, but that doesn't mean that it's not real. If you are coming to the book of Jonah this morning and you're saying, I don't believe this is real, that's okay. That's totally fine. If you're coming to the book of Jonah this morning and you're saying, I think this is absolutely historically accurate and I've heard some really good evidence on why, why it is, that's okay too. Even if I think that this all happened and I think it's historically accurate and real, um, there is a lot of wisdom to be gained from looking at it as a parable as well. And here's the deal. The people who are the experts on this, scholars, people who are writing the books on, on minor prophets like Jonah, they don't even agree on this. Some say it's real and some say it doesn't. And I just want you to be aware that both those things are said. And, and you know what? There is beautiful ways that we can grow from this, this passage of scripture, if it's real or if it's not. And there's gospel present in whether it's real or it's not. Um, and there are ways that it can impact our lives as we move forward today, whether it's real or not. So um, I'm going gonna, gonna to take that off the table. We all come to this together today, real or not, let's engage and let's talk through this whole thing. Starting in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And that's pretty much how you would expect a prophet to, to hear from God. That's what we would hear in some of the other prophetic books is that God spoke to them and gave them a message. The thing is that Jonah, uh, we see in verse uh, 3, is actually a pretty terrible prophet. Verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Well, you look at other prophetic books, like let's say Hosea. Hosea is another prophet, and the word of the Lord comes to Hosea, and God says, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And, and the reason for that, if you're curious, is because Hosea's relationship with his wife, who is a prostitute, was supposed to resemble the relationship between God and his people, because the prostitute, Hosea's wife, was going to keep cheating on Hosea, and Hosea was to keep taking her back, even though that was happening. Much like the people of Israel, the people of God, the Hebrews, the Jews, they would continue to cheat on God. Even after God leads them out of, the, out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the desert, what's one of the first things they do when Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? They create a false god. They cheat on God, right? And so the word of the Lord comes to Hosea, and, and Hosea is supposed to marry a prostitute. And what does Hosea do? Hosea goes right out and does it. He follows what God has told him to do. In Jonah, we see that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai, uh, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. And in verse 3, Jonah goes and runs away uh, to Tarshish. So Jonah's not a very good prophet. Now, here's an ironic thing. This is where we get into some of that poetry. Jonah, son of Amittai, Jonah means dove, kind of like innocence, right? Dove. Son of Amittai means faithfulness. And so we have this kind of innocent faithfulness is what Jonah's name means. And do we see in the book of Jonah that Jonah's very um, innocently faithful? No, that's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of humorous, it's kind of funny. The name of this prophet is faithfulness and yet he can't be faithful. He won't go, he won't follow what God has called him to do. So what does Jonah do? Jonah runs away, he heads to Tarshish. He goes down to Joppa where he, he boards a ship that's headed away from where God has called him to go. If you were to look at a map, 
Nineveh is one direction, and Tarshish is the exact opposite direction. So Jonah, he, he does the opposite. He goes the opposite direction completely from what God has called him to do. Now, here's an interesting thing to look at in the way that this whole thing is written too. Have you ever known somebody who they just keep spiraling? Um, maybe it's somebody who's dealing with um, just self-sabotage in their life, right? They, uh, they sabotage their relationships, they sabotage their jobs, they sabotage their finances, they sabotage um, even, even their relationship with God. I'm not good enough, I can't do this, uh, God's against me. And, and so they self-sabotage and they kind of spiral down and down and down and down. Uh, or, or maybe it's somebody that deals with addiction. We see those who deal with addiction spiraling down as well. And, and they, they have to hit a place called what we, we call rock bottom in order for them to uh, you know, find their way back, hopefully. Um, Jonah is a person who spirals down. If we look in this passage, we will see that um, it says in verse 3, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship for that port. So then we know he's going down to Joppa, right? When he's on the ship, there's this, where does Jonah go? Jonah goes below deck. He goes down to the bottom of the ship, right? And then when he goes to the bottom of the ship, what does he do? He lays down and he falls into a sleep. So Jonah keeps going down. Now, if we follow the story, the rest of the chapter here, what, what do we find out? People get scared because of the storm. They cast lots. It falls on Jonah. And what, did the, what does Jonah tell them to do? Throw me overboard. So then he goes down further, down and down and down in the sea. And then he's swallowed by a fish, a great fish, and he spends time in the belly of that fish. So he's down in the belly of the fish. So Jonah is a person who we can see spiraling before us, going down and down and down and down. Interesting, right? Let's move on to um, verse 4. It says, Then the, this, we're on the ship. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the seas, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. Hear this? So the sailors are a bunch of folks who are not God, Yahweh followers. They're not Israelites, they're not Hebrews. Um, these are what we call pagans. And pagans is just a word that means someone who doesn't follow Yahweh, God, the Lord Most High, Jehovah. People that follow a different God would be called pagans. So these are, these are pagan sailors and they are crying out to their own gods because in, in this day and age, you were sort of subject to whatever God you, whose territory you were in. So if you were in a certain city, that city might have a certain God. If you were in a certain country, that country might have a certain God. If you were under someone's uh, specific person, a king's authority, that king might have a certain God. Now here's the interesting thing. These sailors seem to have heard of Yahweh. They, they've heard of the God of Abraham, the God who transcends borders. Because if you think about the story of Abraham, which, you know, if, if you're unfamiliar with the story of Abraham, maybe this is your first time with us on a Sunday morning, you can go back and look at a series in our archives called The Faithful, where we walked through the life of Abraham. And, and Abraham goes on a journey. God takes Abraham from one place, from one country, to a new country, to a promised land. And 
he travels outside of a territory, he travels outside of a country, he travels outside these borders. And so these pagan sailors have probably heard of the Hebrew God who transcends borders. So when they cast their lots and the lots fall upon Jonah and they call Jonah up and they say, look, what's going on? He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. And the sailors, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked Jonah, what should we do to make the sea calm down? And Jonah says, pick me up and throw me in the sea. Now, we're talking about the sailors. So the sailors seem to recognize who this Hebrew God is, the Lord of heaven and earth that made the sea. They get worried, they get scared. And what do the men do? When Jonah says, throw me overboard, what do the men do? The men fight against it. They, they don't want to. They try really hard to row back to shore. Even before that, they, they throw cargo, their precious cargo, whatever they're transporting, whatever's going to make them their money, they throw it over the side of the boat to try and save the boat and all who are on board. And now, once Jonah says, look, the way to save yourself is just to throw me overboard, they try really hard to, to row back to shore so they don't have to do it. And then when they've tried everything they can, what do they do? They cried out to the Lord. I'm in verse 14. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. So now we have these pagans who have their own gods from their own territories, their own countries, who recognize the supremacy of the the Lord God of the Hebrews, the, the maker of heaven and the sea and the dry land. And they are now praying to that God. They're, 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 they're converted. And, and, and you might think, well, that's a little strong. They're praying out because they're scared. You're right. But then let's look at verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, scholars here would say, this is not something you do on a ship. You're not making a sacrifice on a ship. A sacrifice is going to include the, the slaying of an animal. It's going to include the burning of that meat. That's not something you do on a wooden ship. So this is when the sailors return to dry land. They go to the temple of the Lord and they make vows and sacrifices. They vow their lives to this God. So through this whole ordeal, I mean, put yourself in the, the shoes of a sailor who has a passenger come up to their ship. The sea gets crazy. The passenger says, you got to throw me overboard. And they're thinking, no way. We don't want to kill anybody. Uh, they, they do it anyway. They pray to God, don't hold this against us. And then when they get back to dry land, they go to the temple of that God, of this man that they threw over the side of the boat, and they make vows to him. And they sacrificed him. The sailors have been converted in the midst of this whole thing, which is just fascinating to me. It's, it's interesting, too, because if you think about the story of Jonah, you have sailors who are pagans, not God followers, who become God followers. And you have a prophet who is a God follower, God fearer, who doesn't follow God and tries to run away. It sort of flips the whole thing on its head, right? It's sort of like it's sort of like there might be people in our lives 
who call themselves Christians, but they don't act like it. There's all sorts of things that someone who calls himself a Christian, who you know as a, as a friend or a coworker, might share with you that you go, really, I, it doesn't seem like your life reflects that you follow God. And then there's people in our lives who never profess to be a Christian, never profess to follow God, who are so kind and caring and compassionate. And when you look at their life, you're like, they're more of a Christian than some of the Christians that I know. That's sort of the, the picture we're getting here, right? You have these sailors who, when you think of a sailor, don't you think of kind of the stereotypical, like, that person's got the mouth of a sailor, right? They, they curse, they cuss, they, they live in a way that it's not God-honoring, right? But these people, even before they know that the Hebrew God is involved, they're throwing their precious cargo overboard and try and save everybody. They're good people. And then in the midst of that, when they find out what they're supposed to do from Jonah, they still try not to do it. They still do everything they can not to throw Jonah overboard. These are good people. Jonah, the God follower, he's doing everything he can to not follow God. In fact, we might look at the character of Jonah. In fact, we might do this throughout all four chapters and say, Jonah's not a really good person at all. Isn't this fascinating? You know that question we talked about asking God's wrath, God's judgment versus God's grace and mercy. One of the conclusions that we're going to come to that I'll share with you today is that God's the only one that gets to deal that out. Because when we look at the characters in the story, we see a person like Jonah who's a prophet of God and we, we think pretty highly of a prophet of God. And we look at the story and we think of a bunch of sailors and we think, well, sailors are sailors. But in reality, the story is flipped on its head. The sailors are the ones who follow God and Jonah's the one running away from him. In some ways, if you were to look at this, the book of Jonah as something that is a, a fictional account, that it is not real, you might say, it's like somebody asked the question, what if someone with the gift of prophecy was given a word from the Lord and they chose not to follow what God told them to do. What would happen? And this story is sort of like an answer to that question, right? So what happens if a prophet gets a word from God and doesn't follow what God's asked them to do and they try to run away? Well, there's really nowhere you can run. That's the, that's the truth, isn't it? Because Jonah keeps going down. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down to the bottom of a ship. He goes down to sleep. I mean, like, so consciously he goes down even further. And then he gets thrown overboard. He goes down in the sea. <clears throat> and even there, God sends a great fish. Now, here's the interesting thing. When Jonah gets thrown overboard, Jonah doesn't know that God's going to send a fish. We have no reason to think that he does. Jonah, Jonah is asking the men to kill him. And we'll see later in this story where Jonah says, I wish I was dead. It's better if I were to die. And Jonah is trying to die. Rather than follow what God has called him, Jonah's trying to die. So when he asks the men to throw him overboard, it is not because Jonah sees there's a fish there. It's not because he thinks God's going to send a great fish. It's to die. Now, 
What does God do? Verse 17, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God provided a way to continue caring for Jonah in the midst of Jonah's greatest despair. As Jonah's this person who's spiraling down and down and down, and he's spiraling so far that he becomes suicidal, God is still there. God is still with him. God is still providing a way. Let's move into our grow area. Earlier in this message, I referenced September 11, 2001. I was an 18-year-old. I was working construction. I had the radio on. I was listening to some music. I was putting insulation in a house. And there were some masons outside working on the exterior of the house that was being built. They came inside and they said, Nick, there are planes dropping all over the U.S. And I'm like, what? Well, around this time, uh, a series of books had come out called Left Behind. And I don't know if you've ever read those books. Um, those books have a very particular um, theological perspective of the end times. And the way that that book series starts is literally with planes dropping all over the world because the rapture has happened and the pilots get taken up. And so the planes fall out of the sky. So, of course, to the 18-year-old me, the very first thing that I think of is that the rapture has happened. So I sprint to my car and I grab my cell phone because in those days, cell phones were these bricks and you didn't keep them in your pocket. <laughs> grab my cell phone and I called my father um, because I thought if the rapture had happened and I missed it, there's no way my dad would miss it, right? The phone rang and then it rang and it rang. And every time it rang, my heart sank lower and lower and lower as I thought, I've been left behind. Something in my life, in my heart, in my spirit was wrong. I got it wrong and I didn't make the cut. And on the fourth ring, my dad answered. And I took one of the deepest breaths I've ever taken in my life because I realized he wasn't gone. Now look, I tell you that story because my dad's not perfect. And last week he brought the, the sermon to us and he actually shared a bit about um, how there's his, he has his own stuff, his own baggage, his own junk in his life that he has to work through. And I appreciate that sort of honesty, especially from the pulpit. And um, it's really easy, whether it's sons about their fathers or it's those of us who've been in church our whole lives about characters in the Bible, for us to dehumanize them or over-mystify them. I don't dehumanize my father in a way that uh, makes him lower. I might dehumanize him in a way that actually lifts him higher. I had more confidence in my father's theology, his, his spiritual walk, his faith, his relationship with Jesus, the life he was living. I had more confidence in that than I had in my own life. 
in my own walk, in my own theology, in my own spiritual journey at that point. I had kind of lifted him up. For Jonah, you know, Jonah's a prophet. And we tend to lift characters in the Bible up. We tend to lift up people who hold certain offices like prophet up high. We tend to lift up pastors up high. And we make them examples. And they should be examples. Don't get me wrong. Being a spiritual leader, it comes with a certain amount of responsibility. And you should be an example to the world around you. But they're all still human. My dad, still human, which he shared about last week. Jonah, though he is a prophet, though he has already given a prophetic word to a king, um, a, a good word to a hard king, he's still a human. And, and Jonah, he, he runs away from God. I mean, how many of us would feel so lucky to hear the word of God come? Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And then in quotations, like he hears God's voice say, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. I mean, he hears God's voice. How many of us would love to hear God's voice? And yet Jonah hears it and runs away from it. How many of us, though we claim to be Christians, that we claim to follow Jesus and we value the things that Jesus values, how many of us have made great mistakes in our lives? Maybe the way we've treated somebody. Maybe, maybe we did something when no one was looking and we never got caught for it, but we bared that burden the whole time. Maybe we've heard God call us to something and we have found every good reason not to follow God's call in our life. Our grow area this morning is to recognize that, that people are people, that people make mistakes, that people are imperfect. Because, because Jonah, a character in the Bible, a character that we all learn about in Sunday school when we're growing up or vacation Bible school, Jonah, who is a prophet, Jonah runs away from God. You see, we all have questions and we all make mistakes. And this book in, in so many ways is about mercy and grace versus justice and wrath. And there's a part of us that thinks that God's wrath should come across or against certain folks that are out there. And sometimes those certain folks are us. God's wrath and anger and judgment should come against us because of the way we've lived and acted. And sometimes we want it. Sometimes we feel like, Man, if God would just punish me, I'd be better off. I'd, I'd, I can move forward then. You're a person. You make mistakes. And that's okay. I want you as your pastor to, to try really hard to follow Jesus. I want you to try really hard to, to live a life and a lifestyle that looks like the life and lifestyle of Jesus. I want you to love your neighbors as yourself. I want you to love your enemies as hard as that may be. But I recognize, and I need you to recognize too, that none of us do it perfectly. And that's okay, because in Jesus there is forgiveness. In God there is mercy. Our grow area this morning 
for many people who need it is to cut yourself a little slack. If we don't exist in a world where there is grace and mercy from Jesus, it becomes really easy to exist in a legalistic world where if we do this or don't do that, it's over. It becomes really easy to start believing that I'm too far gone, that I've done too much, that I've been too bad. And if there's one thing we can learn from Jonah in our grow area is that there is nothing that can separate you from God. That as Jonah goes down and down and down and down, even at his lowest place, even at the bottom of the sea, even after trying to kill himself, God sends a great big fish. And that leads us into our gospel moment. Here's our gospel moment this morning. Jesus is a fish. Sit with that for a minute. Jesus is a fish. Or maybe I should say Jesus is like a fish. Okay? <clears throat> think, about, think about this. Think about the gospel being presented in Jonah. How do we do that? Well, Jonah is you and I. Jonah is a guy who hears God and runs away. He does everything not to hear God. He knows the right thing to do and he chooses not to do it. Jonah is a guy who hears God call him to go talk to people he doesn't want to talk to. And so he runs the opposite direction. He boards a boat. He goes to the bottom of the boat. He falls asleep on the boat. And God is chasing him down. And we know that God is a God who chases us down. We know that God is a God who leaves the 99 to find the one lost sheep. We know that God is a God who waits at the end of a driveway like a father waiting for his prodigal son to return home. And when the son comes around the corner, comes down the, the long driveway, he, the father picks up his robes and runs to his son to embrace him, to put sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger, and a robe around his back. And then he throws a party. We know that God is a God who when one person comes into the kingdom, the entire heavens, the angels celebrate. We know that God is a God who chases us down out of love. God chases Jonah down on the ship, right? To the point where Jonah throws himself or is asked to be thrown overboard and to death. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. We're also told that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That makes you and I folks who have been thrown overboard into death because we've all sinned and the wages, the payment of sin is death. So as Jonah sinks in the waters and he sinks to the bottom of the sea, so you and I also sink into this death and despair that is our just desserts for being sinful, for choosing our way over God's way, for choosing the, the way that's easy or feels good over the way that God has called us to be or do. Three days and three nights. That's the next part of the story, isn't it? God ordains. In the NIV, it says provided, but ordained would be a fair translation. Ordains a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah, which is us, in the midst of death, 
We are swallowed for three days and three nights. Now, three days and three nights should sound pretty familiar to you, right? Because when Jesus goes to the cross, he is dead for three days and three nights. <laughs> in John, the, the, the Gospel of John, there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, doesn't want his friends to know that he's talking to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I, I like what you're saying. I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, well, what do I got to do? What's the next step? And Jesus says, you must be born again. You have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? What does that mean? I, there's no way for a person to, to go back into their mother in order to be born again. This is, I don't understand. Jonah's swallowed by a fish. And uh, we could think of the fish as being pregnant with Jonah. Couldn't you? Jonah is inside a fish. And in fact, the fish that Jonah's inside is a female fish. So it's like the fish is pregnant with Jonah. And when Jonah spends three days and three nights there, then the fish deposits him. <laughs> we'll find out that uh, the fish throws him up. Jonah's not in the fish anymore. He's outside the fish. He's been born again. And we'll talk about this in the future, but when Jonah's born again, boy, he looks different. There's no way you spend three days in the belly of a fish and you look the same as you did when you went in. So Jonah, the fish is pregnant with Jonah. After three days and three nights, the fish throws Jonah up and Jonah looks different. Jonah's no longer running away from God. Jonah's moving towards what God has called him to. Jonah has been born again. The gospel shows up in Jonah because Jesus is like a great big fish. You and I, as we sank into the deepest place of the death that we deserve because of the sinners that we are, Jesus saves us from it. We become, Jesus becomes pregnant with us and we are born again into looking different and acting different and, and living in a different way. Jesus is like a great big fish. And I don't know where you are today. Perhaps you are sinking, you're spiraling, or perhaps you have spiraled in the past and you resonate with the fact that at your deepest place, your lowest place, your darkest place, there you found God. And you've been thrown up onto dry land, born again, looking different, and now following God's call. Maybe you're somewhere else in that process. But each of us have the opportunity today to make a decision, to make a choice. Not to run from God, not to keep spiraling, but to follow him. And that's my encouragement to you this morning with this first chapter of Jonah, is to recognize the choice is yours. May we all follow God. May we all follow his word. May we follow the life that he is leading us on. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this day and we thank you for this, this minor prophet, Jonah. We thank you for his life and his story, for his journey, for three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. God, we thank you that you, you've given us this, this understanding that um, because of what you've done for us, we can be born again. God, I pray that we would not let our own frustrations with our walk stand in our way, that we would not... We would not over mystify or mythologize or dehumanize
the fact that as followers of you, we're not perfect and we get it wrong and we make mistakes. And sometimes we, we make the decision on purpose not to follow. God, we're human. And as for this very reason that we need you. We're human, we make mistakes, we're imperfect. Because of that, we need you to be perfect for us. So thank you, God, for doing that for us. Now I pray for our community this week. I want to pray for, for those in our church. Um, you know, we're virtual this week because, you know, there's the chance that there was an exposure to the coronavirus. And I just want to pray for our church community, Lord, that you would protect us, that you would heal us, and that you would continue to make us healthy and well. God, uh, we are looking forward to the 29th and we're back together in person again. And we just ask God that you would, you would make that such a joyous and cheerful celebration. Father, go before us this week. Be with us today and in your name. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together. Thank you.